Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by, Je by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? For he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God.
Well, we are starting chapter two and we are hoping that we will finish chapter two. This is a rather heavy chapter and it is yet necessary for us to really understand this chapter, particularly after last week's sermon when we were talking about, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who will believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What we have here in the beginning of this chapter is actually, if you can imagine, a court scene. There is a judge, and there is a defendant. There is also a prosecuting judge, as well as a defending lawyer, defense lawyer and a prosecuting lawyer. Paul is actually acting in his letter here as both the prosecuting lawyer as well as the defending lawyer. And we'll see that as we go through this chapter. This scene is, uh, of course, as in all courts, judgment is why we go to court. If you say you're going to court, there's hopefully going to be a judgment made either for you or against you. And that that means that it is the duty, it is the mandate of the people who have elected the judge to rightly bring a conclusion to whatever the dispute might be or the situation might be, to justly judge. And unfortunately, here in Japan, in the United States, in Russia, and Brazil, we don't have necessarily just judges. Everyone hopes that they will have a just judge, or at least just in their own eyes, that they want to win this case. And I have sat as a juror in a court several times in the United States, fulfilling my duty to my state and my county. And it has been both a privilege and a scary thing. Particularly when you have a situation where you listen to the court and you hear the lawyers, both prosecuting and defense, giving their case. And then you, as the juror, 12 of you, in our case in uh, Whatcom County, we go into session and we deliberate over the evidence, the arguments. And we have to come to a conclusion. And if it means that is a heavy sentence, Someone will either go to prison or pay a large sum of money for what they have done. Or someone will be rewarded by the judgment of the judge. But the ruling that comes from the jury is based upon the laws of that particular county or state or government. 
At least that's the way it operates in the United States. That is kind of the scene that we see here. And when we come to this, it is always weighty. I was sitting as a juror, and we came down to the wire. That means uh, we came down to our discussion and time and, and all. And I had committed one week of my own time to be there, but the, the law says it doesn't matter if this goes on for a month or three months or whatever. And I had a job to do. I had some things to do. And I didn't want to be tied up in this case. But I had to see the thing through by law. Otherwise, I could go to jail. And then I'd have to go to court and somebody would have to defend me. No. <laughs> but what happened was we did extend for one day. And there was one person on our jury, very kind woman. She wanted to be kind to the man that we were considering a verdict because he was a young man and the accusation was a heavy one. So we deliberated. In fact, there were about half of us on the jury who were believers. And we recognized one another as we were talking just by our hearts. We didn't know what kind of Christians they were, but it was a situation where you just kind of sense, I think he or she is a, a, is a believer by what they're saying. And so I just happened to mention to the jurors, we really need prayer for this decision, don't we? That's all I said. Well, there was kind of like, yes, we do. But we'd already spent the whole afternoon. And the session was over. The bailiff came in and she said, okay, you are dismissed for the night. You are not allowed to speak of what you have talked about here. This is critical for justice to be done. Well, after saying, well, we really need to pray about this, don't we? So we went home, and we had been taking notes and looking over it. Katie said, well, how did it go? And I said, I can't say. We came back the next morning, and we wondered, how is this going to go? Or are we going to have a hung jury? In other words, we couldn't make a unanimous decision. And we went around and we did the vote, guilty or not guilty. And every one of the 12 said guilty. Oh, I, I, I skipped one, one thing. The presiding juror, the leader of the, our jury, was chosen by us. And, and he, before we started, sorry, he said, is there anybody here that over the night you have some things to contribute before we take the vote? And uh, 
So one gentleman uh, said, yes, I, I have something to say. And so he said, I have really brought this decision to uh, taking it as a heavy thing for this young man. But I, he said, all evidence points to guilt. And for me, he said, these are the reasons. And he listed off about three. And I was looking at my paper, and I thought, this is amazing. Because I had the same three points he had. And we hadn't talked or conferred at all. And so the bailiff said, is there another, any other opinions? And I said, well, I would like to share mine as well. And so I did. And then we took the vote. Guilty, 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 guilty. All the way around. So they, the bailiff went to the court and said, they have made a decision. Can you call the court together again? So we marched out and sat in our jurors' uh, booths. And the judge then said, okay, we understand that there has been a, uh, a verdict. And uh, so the head of the, the jury stood and said, we have concluded with the verdict. He is guilty. That was a hard thing to do. Very hard. And a year later, I talked with the judge. I happened to be flying my plane at a certain airport, and he was flying his too, and we happened to meet. And I said, do you remember me? And he says, well, your face looks familiar. And I said, well, I was one of the jurors in that particular case. He says, oh, yeah. And so we discussed that a little bit. And I said, I want to really commend you for being a just judge, which he was, which he is. And unfortunately now he has retired so he can have more time flying his plane. But the whole point of this story is judgment is a heavy thing. It is not to be taken lightly. And so we have here ten times in this chapter Paul mentions either judgment or judge. That's why I spent the time painting this picture of a courtroom. Really, there is a heavenly courtroom that is in session now. And it's about, you know what it's about? It's about a just judge who has a court. We might think it's, well, it's the jury. No, 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 no. Well, it's the defending and the prosecuting attorneys. No, 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 no. Well, it's about the person that's being accused. Ah, uh, you could say that. But it's really not about that either. It's about the judge. 
And it's really, is he an impartial judge? Or to put it this way, for God shows no partiality. He is a just judge. And that is what chapter 2 is talking about. And when we look at that, we, in our hearts, like Katie said, the knowledge of the glory of God will be spread over the whole earth. She didn't say that. That was in Habakkuk, was it? The knowledge of the glory of God. And that is, he is the just judge. And we as Christians, and we as employers or employees or as children or as parents, do not have a right to judge, at least in the final analysis of a person's life. There's only one, and that is the creator of heaven and earth, who is the just and righteous judge. I could just say, well, okay, we're dismissed. Except that we haven't even started on chapter 2. So let's go to judgment of God. Romans 2, 1 to 11. In chapter 1, let's back up just a little bit. In chapter 1, Paul is dealing with Gentile sins. In chapter 2, Paul turns to Jewish sins, sins of the Jews. And twice he mentions that first the Jew and then the Gentile. And so in his court case or the evidence that he's putting forward, he actually turns to the second person, the Gentiles, and tells about their sins. And then he goes to the Jew. But as he's writing, he says, the judgment really is first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. The judgment is the same. The law is the same. At least in terms of the court. In terms of the people themselves, the law is different. Jewish law is different than Gentile law. But all of us are under one judge, whether Jew or Gentile. Am I confusing you? We all stand under the law. Whether it's the law in the Old Testament or the law of our consciences. And we'll talk about how those Judgments are related to us from the outline of judgment of God through Christ Jesus and judgment of God by the Spirit. One more little word I'd like to say about judgment. Probably have heard someone quote and say from Matthew seven one, do not judge or you'll be judged. Has anybody ever told you that or said that in your hearing? Okay, you've heard that. 
But you know what? That's a misinterpretation of what it means in the scripture. We are, of course, not the judge. God is. And it is not our position or our place to say, you go to hell. That is not what we should do. And if you say that, Jesus actually has another word. If you call someone and curse that person, you are in danger of hellfire yourself. We are not the judge. And we are not to judge one another or others. In fact, in chapter 7 of Matthew, if you read a little further, you find out that there's another thing at play. And that is not judgment, but discernment. And a lot of people confuse the two. They are very, very different. As I've said, judging is you are condemning someone to some punishment or, or condemnation. We're subjecting them to condemnation. But with discernment, it is not judging. In fact, Jesus says, we all know that a bad tree cannot bring good fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey guys, use your brains that God gave you to know that this isn't wise what this person is doing. And you go to them and appeal to them. Don't don't go there. You don't want to go there. That's discerning they're going the wrong way. And you as a brother or sister, and you're, you're coming alongside of them to keep them from going into condemnation and judgment, the judgment of God. There's false teaching around us. We're not to judge those ones that are disseminating it. We should be the ones that are discerning it and pointing out and saying, this teaching is wrong and you shouldn't be following it because this is where it leads. That's discernment. And you know what? I think the church worldwide really is lacking the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is one of them is discerning. We need to ask God to give us that gift and really know how to handle it and to how to administrate it and to help the body of Christ. I'd, I'd like to encourage you to pray for the gift of discernment. I think the Holy Spirit, through his word, can give it to us. Not so that we'll be going around saying, no, no, Miwa, that's not the way to write. You shouldn't write on pink paper. <laughs> well, it does match your, your shirt. Okay, go ahead. No, we, we need to not be judges, but discerners. And when you discern that someone's doing good, what are you supposed to do? That was a good job done. 
Glossy, that was a good job done this weekend <laughs> with the homeschoolers. I heard from a discerning woman. <laughs> Thank you for... <laughs> Bless the Lord. Well, you know what? My message was supposed to be finished right now. And I'm not even off in the, in the first point. This is crazy. I love preaching to you guys. Paul says here, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. That's really what the ESV says. O man. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. And then again he says, Do you suppose, O man? Now that sounds a little bit judgmental to me, Paul. Oh man, you are out of line. Well, we're going to get into it in several chapters down the road. But in chapter 7, he says the same word. And he says the same word about himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this weight of sin? So he's really talking about himself here because as we studied in chapter 1, he was a persecutor. He was in fact a murderer of those of the way. And he called himself the least of apostles. So that with this, Paul is really seeing his own heart. And chapter 7 of of Romans really is Paul's testimony of what he struggled with in his own life and as a Jew. He had come down hard in chapter 1 on the Gentiles. And that was a despicable description last week. And he's coming down just as hard on the Jewish Brothers, and there is a day of wrath. You know, lest we put ourselves in a place of judgment against the Jews and say, well, you know, how did they know all these things from the tabernacle, from uh, the laws that God had given them, and they still rejected God? Wait a minute now. Which one of us hasn't been in that place? We need to look at ourselves and even learn from them. In verse 4 here, it says, Or do you presume on or despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's really the crux of the problem with our sin problem is that we don't want to repent. It's true for me. It was true for the Jews. It's true for all of us. Repentance is a hard thing to do. But it's the loving kindness. It's his forbearance. It's his patience that leads us 
to repentance. It's not some whip that he's coming along whipping you. It's coming to the place of realization that I am a lawbreaker. I need his kindness and his mercy and his grace. In fact, you know, people say that the church is full of hypocrites. And that's where all the hypocrites should be. Every one of us should know that we are hypocrites. That we deserve punishment. But you know, we are those who have been forgiven. Not perfect. Not walking the straight and narrow every second of 24 hours. No, we are those who are walking under grace, having forgiveness granted to us because we have repented. We have come to the Father and said, thank you for giving us Jesus Christ, your Son, to die in my place for my sins, which are many. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's as simple as that. We're repenters. Verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who, by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor immortality, he will give eternal life for those who, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress. And here's where he says, to the Jew first, because they received the law, they will be first judged. And also for the Greek, and we'll get to him later but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. And the declaration is, for God shows no partiality. Praise the Lord. I'm going to hurry along here. Point two, judgment of God through Jesus Christ. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Plain and simple English. And then goes on to say, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Justified means made right, in good standing, innocent. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. In other words, God is a impartial, just judge. So that he is looking at all of us, every one of us, in the same way. He's not seeing one as better than the other. That's not the way justice operates. If you do the law, you do well. And that's the way it should be in our, our, as we go out on the street. 
I don't want a policeman to just say, oh, you're in a blue car. I hate blue. You're going to get a ticket today. <laughs> no, that's not the way it works. Sometimes it does, though, because we don't have just policemen. But in our world, we can go through our lives knowing that there is one just judge and one executor of the law. James, uh, the apostle, says in uh, 125, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And the reason why we are judged through Jesus Christ, verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He's the standard. He's the gold standard. Jesus Christ is. He's the one we want to emulate. He's the one we want to walk in his way. In fact, here I go again. The kanji for righteousness. The lamb, the sheep over me. That's how we stand in that righteousness. In my funeral, you'll probably have the kanji for righteousness there. I bless you for that. I am not a righteous man, but I love that kanji. Katie, would you put that in my casket, please? Okay. <laughs> for God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Then Paul goes on in, in uh, the third point, in verse 17. The whole list, and Katie read it kind of as a list, but I've got it up here for you to see. Judgment of God by the Spirit. But if you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law, law and boast in God, you know his will and approve what is excellent, you are instructed from the law, you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment and knowledge of truth. Aha, I am a Jew. I do right. You remember, Paul was a Jew. He was writing mostly to a Gentile church. There were Jews there, but mostly Gentile. Then verse 21. You then who teach others, do you teach not yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know, the Jewish people have suffered over the years. And I think it has been because they have 
known the true God and not lived by the one that would redeem them and put them in right standing with the just judge. As we shared with you in chapter 1, in a little bit of review of the Romans and the Jews and the Gentiles, actually Paul's world was really divided between the Jews and, and the Gentiles. And one of the things that came between them was some of these laws that the Jewish people were not about to give up. And Paul is voicing what the Jerusalem Council came out with when they discovered that God, in fact, had given his Holy Spirit to the Gentiles and that they had believed in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They said, why should they follow these laws that we couldn't even keep? And so they were released from the demands of the Jewish law. Why? We'll find out as we go through Romans. But that law had already been fulfilled because Jesus Christ had died and was buried. And the punishment was taken away. And he was raised from the dead and rose to be with his father. That concludes the law and finishes it. And because of that, we can walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We'll get into that back in chapter in chapter 8, but that's a long way down the road. Let's get to a conclusion here. Let me skip down to verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew or a true Jew, as Paul is intimating here, is one inwardly. And the matter of circumcision of the heart is what we're talking about. By the spirit, not by the letter. And Paul concludes this, his praise is not from man, but from God. And that concludes this message. And this is uh, all I can give right now for chapter 2. Maybe next year when we go through it again. But, you know, the Lord be blessed and praised that we do have a Savior that we do have one who walked as a man and fulfilled the whole law on our behalf and then became the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bless the Lord for his grace to us and the knowledge and understanding of that. And if you have made a confession saying, Father, in the name of your Son, forgive me my sins. Make me clean through his blood. 
Give me right standing with you. I repent of all those things that are brought to mind now. And I give those to you in confession that it was Jesus Christ who died for those. And I thank you for eternal life. I thank you for cleansing and bringing me into relationship with you so that I'm not condemned, so that I can stand before the just judge and say, because of your son and his sacrifice on my behalf, I come to you. That's the hope. That's the joy. That's the release. That is an understanding of what the gospel is all about. That is the love of God.